good morning. Welcome back to our series. Uh, we're going through the book of Mark, and we've really been taking kind of a deep dive into it. We're taking our time as we go through it. Um, today is, I don't even know how many weeks we're in it now, seven or eight weeks, but we're just barely kind of getting into chapter two. Um, and chapter two, it's kind of like this, this other sub-series we're calling Challenging Religion. Because as we see, um, um, well, last week, if you were here, you heard Justin uh, share the story of the, the friends who brought their, their paralytic friend to Jesus to be healed, right? And uh, Jesus doesn't heal him, not immediately anyways, but instead he does something even greater. He says his sins are forgiven. He says that. Um, and right here in this story, we, we kind of see the, the beginning of this continual conflict that Jesus ends up having um, he has this, this, this conflict with a lot of different religious leaders all throughout his ministry. And the reason is that they have this conflict with him is they know that only God can forgive sin. Only God can do that. And so in their ignorance of who Jesus really is, it leads them to believing that he's blaspheming. And like I said, this is just the beginning of the tensions that, that Jesus is going to have with, with re- religious leaders, with uh, religious people that we're going to see all throughout his ministry. And I want to be clear about what, what are we talking about when we're talking about religion, okay? Because really the, the real definition of religion, um, it's defined simply as the way a person practically lives out their relationship with God, okay? So um, that's not a bad thing, right? Obviously this concept of religion isn't bad. We should live out our relationship with God. It should be evident in our lives, our lives should reflect that relationship that we have with God. So religion, in that context, isn't bad. But when we see religious systems and rules kind of take the, the place of this idea of, of a relationship with God, when they um, take the, 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 the highest level um, in, in our lives, that's this negative idea of religion that we're talking about. Okay, We're external behavior and conformity to a strict set of rules um, that go beyond what God has even directed in his word, that he's even given us, when they go beyond that, that's where we really start to see this negative uh, idea of religion. And this is where people really end up dividing each other into two groups. We, we tend to do that because most of us tend to think that there's two kinds of people. Okay? Even subconsciously, we just really kind of think this way, that there's two kinds of people. Um, so before we get into the Bible reading today, we're going to be in, in Mark 2, uh, verses 13 and 17. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, that's where we're going to be reading today. Um, but I really want to ask you this question. How would you differentiate between good people and bad people? Now, maybe a, maybe a good way to do this is first you should ask yourself, what would society say is the difference between good people and bad people? Okay, think, think about what, what that would be. And then maybe ask yourself also, what would religious people say is the difference between good people and bad people? And then we're going to find out what Jesus would answer to that. What is, what is the difference to Jesus? Okay, so here's where we're going to go today. We're going to be talking about two different kinds of people. We're going to be talking about a tax collector um, and a religious group of people called Pharisees, okay, and, he's, and Jesus is going to end up explaining the real clear 
big difference between these two kinds of people. Because Jesus has different standards than religion, typically. Okay? He has different standards than, than, they, than religion tends to. So if we start reading in, in Mark here, we're going to start in verse 13 of chapter 2. Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore uh, again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, Levi is more commonly known as Matthew, okay? Uh, the same Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, uh, the first of the Gospels in our Bible. And it's common throughout the Bible to see people referred to by different names, okay? If you've probably, if you've studied your Bible, you've noticed that. Maybe you haven't, but, but there are. There are a lot of people who are referred to by different names. Um, even another one of the apostles, Simon, he's also called Peter, okay? Uh, or, or after uh, Jesus' ministry, um, we see Saul become Paul. Um, even in the Old Testament, we see this. We see Abram, he's given this new name by God, Abraham. And even uh, Jacob, he's given the new name Israel. Now, there's different... There's different reasons for that, okay? And um, sometimes in some of these circumstances that we read about, it, it's God's giving them a different name. Like the, after an encounter with God, they're given, they're given this new name, a new name to go with this, this new nature that they have now. After an encounter with God, I mean, that's a, there, there's, there's a whole new outlook. There's a, there's a new nature, a new person, Okay? But other reasons, sometimes they're just they're cultural reasons, okay? um, which is probably why, why uh, Saul ended up going by Paul, and also Levi. Levi was most likely his Hebrew name, um, while the name, the name Matthew is actually Greek, which is what the language of the New Testament is written in, Koine Greek. So that might be why we know him more commonly as Matthew, but here we see him referred to as Levi. So, what we read is Jesus calls Levi, Levi <clears throat> or Matthew, this, this tax collector, to follow him. And we've already seen Jesus, um, he's called up uh, fishermen to be his disciples already, right? Um, probably not the most pres prestigious occupation. Um, so he's, he's calling up kind of these people that, that really don't seem like that big of a deal. Um, but now he's calling a tax collector. Now what? What's so significant about a tax collector? Maybe you don't know, but tax collectors were considered by the Jewish people to be some of the worst people there were. These were considered to be absolutely depraved people. They were considered as lowly as prostitutes. The reason being that they collected taxes for the Romans uh, who ruled over a conquered Israel during this time. And the Jews believed that one day they would be freed from Roman captivity, and they saw Rome as their enemy. So tax collectors working for the enemy were seen as traitors. And on top of that, the, the Roman tax system was absolutely corrupt. And, and a lot of times what these tax collectors did was they would, they would skim money off the top of their tax collectings. 
So not only were they seen as traitors, they were corrupt traitors. They were the worst of the worst. And we're going to find out that there were some, a lot of religious people who, who really had a problem with Jesus choosing to be around this type of person. Because a lot of times this uh, religious thing that we're talking about, the, the religious systems and religious people, religion is scornful of people who don't measure up. And according to the religious leaders of this time, Levi is the complete opposite of a devout Jewish man living up to their religious standards. So we read on in verse 15. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner, as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Levi, is, he's already introducing everyone he knows to Jesus. Isn't that awesome? This man, he was considered an outcast, viewed as the lowliest of people. He's been redeemed, though. Jesus has called him. He's called him to a new life. And he wants to use this messed up, sinful man for a new purpose. And Levi, he wants to share this newfound joy with others, with others like himself who are lost. He knows how lost he was. He, and he, he, he knows a lot of lost people, and he wants to share this with them. What kind of transformation is that? That's amazing, isn't it? Someone who spent their life taking advantage of people, caring only for himself. Now he wants nothing more than, than to share the joy of finding Jesus with everyone he knows. And the people that he knows are disreputable people. Those are the people he's been hanging around. Those are the, people, those are the friendships he's, he's made, not with religious people. They obviously cast him out. But the most despised and hated people are the people that he's friends with and the people that he wants to share this with now. He wants them to know the same joy that he has found, to know there's redemption for you guys as well. Come and see. But as we read on, when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? You know, it's, it's funny. How many of us can read this here right now? Um, and, and, and we really, we look at these Pharisees and we're like, man, how messed up are they? How harsh and judgmental and hateful are these people? that they would say something like that. But are we really so different? We all have that same tendency inside each of us, myself included. We look down on other people for all different reasons, elevating ourselves in our own minds by all different kinds of standards. You know, people maybe with a strong work ethic who work really hard they have a successful careers, successful jobs. You know, they might look at people that they don't think work very hard as lazy, inferior. Or maybe if you have strong political beliefs, you tend to see those who have opposing political beliefs as stupid or ignorant. Or maybe if you have long, luscious hair and you see a bald guy like me. No, just kidding. 
No, but, but think of those who have, you know, really great self-discipline in their lives, who are just, just really have it all together. They don't, they don't struggle with self-control. They've, they've almost, they almost seem to have mastered self-control. They may look at others who struggle with bad habits or maybe addictions as weak, weak people, less than. Religious people who have made a great effort to live honorable lives, they really can't help but look down at people who have made poor moral decisions in their lives, can they? If our religion leads us to thinking this way, with this point of view, then we need to reevaluate our religious beliefs. You know, I, I, I always ask myself, would anybody from any walk of life be welcome to our Sunday service here? Somebody dirty and ragged, smelly maybe because they're homeless? Maybe, what about uh, maybe a woman who appears to, from her dress, she appears to be a prostitute or something or working in, in that industry? Would she be welcomed here? What about a, a known drug dealer? What about a, a drug addict, a parent drug addict? Strung out in here, would they be welcomed? Would we welcome them? Can you imagine anybody who needs to be here more than those kind of people who need to hear the gospel and Jesus is calling on their lives? These are the people Jesus wants as much as anyone. Jesus, he came for people who know they are sinners. See, in Jesus, he actually has the perfect answer for those questioning why he would socialize with such sinful people. Reading on, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Jesus was not going to waste his time ministering to people who don't believe that they need saving. He spent his time with those who knew how sinful and lost they were. You can't save someone that doesn't see their need to be saved. I, I wonder, do we all recognize our need for salvation? Are we truly aware of our sin before a holy God? It's too easy as Christians like me and you, to get caught up in the trap of believing we're suddenly less subject to sinning, right? Because we come to church, we go to small group, we read our Bible, we pray. We think that we struggle less with our sin nature than those who aren't doing all those things. That's a dangerous place to be if we stop recognizing our sin nature and our desperate need for a Savior because we really start to distance ourselves. We don't, we don't work hard at that relationship with Jesus that we need, that we desperately need. I myself, I have to constantly remind myself of the life that Jesus rescued me from, a life full of addiction and selfishness because I, I took advantage of people just like Levi did. But Jesus offered me his grace as well. I've mentioned many times when I've been up here uh, sharing a message um, that I lead an addiction recovery group on Monday evenings up at the Layton campus at 6.30 um, on Mondays. And it's a difficult ministry. It really is. 
It's a difficult ministry to be in. Um, there are times, um, though, that I can't imagine anything more rewarding than that. Um, because for every 10 people who come in for maybe a time or two and, and then just disappear, never see them again, um, there are, there's always the one who comes through for every 10 that really hears the gospel in there. They really hear it. person who believed what the world told them, who believed um, that they're worthless, that they're too far gone, they've done too much to be worthy of salvation. But when someone like that really comes to know and understand the gospel, to understand that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, man, it changes everything. Some of the people that I have seen the most on fire for the Lord are those who have been rescued from a life of addiction. And we talk in our group, actually, on Mondays a lot about how blessed we were to get to that desperate place in our, in our life where we were, we were so desperate for, for a new life that we were really willing to surrender our lives fully to God. You know, it's, it, seems, it seems silly, doesn't it, that, that that could be such a blessing, but it really is. Because when you come to the end of yourself, the end of everything that you've, you've done, everything that you could possibly do to try to overcome this, to try to live a better life, and you fail over and over, and you have nothing else, that's where God can step in, and he makes beauty from ashes. And when I read this story about, about Levi, it reminds me of that. Jesus rescued him from a depraved, selfish life, and he gives him this new life and a new purpose. And now, as we see Levi, he wants nothing more than to bring all those others lost like himself to the same glorious joy that Jesus offers to everyone. It's, this is the beauty of the gospel right here. Because we're all rebellious sinners, all of us, every one of us. We've all rejected God's rule in our life. And because our God is just and we've racked up this debt of sin, which the Bible says has to be paid for, because, because he's just, he can't just shrug his shoulders and say, oh, it's all right, don't worry about it. <laughs> Imagine if a judge in a courtroom um, has a, an aggravated assault defendant in his court on trial, and he's found guilty. Imagine the judge just says, eh, it's all right. You can go free. Don't worry about it. No punishment necessary. If you were the victim of that person, you would feel victimized all over again, wouldn't you? You would find no justice in that situation. And we can't expect God to ignore our sin either. So thankfully, God is a just God. Also, thankfully, he's a merciful God. Because what it says in the Bible is really the only punishment for our rebellion, our sin, before our creator. He created us. It's beyond just that he's our father, like we think of earthly fathers. He created us. And we rebelled against him. And so what it says in the Bible is the only just punishment is death. But Jesus, he comes and he lays his life down in our place. 
The death that we deserve was paid by our Savior who stepped down from his throne to rescue us by taking upon himself the punishment that we deserve. And he offers this payment to anybody, anyone at all who believes, no matter who we are or what we've done. In Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, it says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. If you're here today, maybe you're feeling like one of these disreputable people. Maybe you feel like an outcast. Maybe you feel like you're not the type of person worth saving, that you're not really worthy of salvation, that you're too far gone. I'm here to tell you that Jesus came for you. He didn't come for the self-righteous. He came for those who know they are lost. And he's calling you the same way that he calls Levi here. He's calling you to put your faith in him, to follow him, because he wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you a new purpose, a new name, that new name, child of God. That's the name he wants to give you, that title. And he, he wants to give that to you today. For those of us who have professed our faith in Jesus, who call ourselves Christians, let's be true followers of Christ by seeking out those people, by seeking out the lost, loving them like Jesus did, sharing the gospel with them, sharing with them this, this joy that Levi is sharing with the lost, that you can be given a new life too. That's what our purpose is. We are the body of Christ. That's what it says in the Bible, that we are the body of Christ. We are his hands and feet. He uses us to share his good news with the rest of the world. We're not here for ourselves. We're here for the lost. And I pray that that would be something that we really, we really think about. And we really think about the people in our lives who we know need to hear the gospel. I think we all know people that are, that are lost like these guys are. That need to hear that. That need to know you're not too far gone. You're never too far gone. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful for everybody here um, today as we are reading just how amazing it is that the, the people that you called to do your work, the people that you called were nobodies. They were depraved, lost individuals. But you called them to a higher purpose. You called them to glorify you, Lord. And if you can use people like that, you can use any one of us. We're so grateful to read these stories like this because it gives us hope. It gives us hope, those of us who, 
who feel like that, who feel like we are lost, that we're too far gone, this right here, this gives us that hope to know, no, that's not true. That's the lie of the enemy. Your truth is that you call each and every one of us, no matter who we are or what we've done, to follow you, to be your child. And so, Lord, I, I pray for those who, are, who, who do feel this way, who feel like they are unworthy of your love, of your grace, of your forgiveness, that they would dig into your word, that they would read your truths, that they would reach out to fellow Christians and, and, and really let them pour your love upon them to know who they are in your sight, Lord. I pray for the rest of us that we would take this to heart, that our purpose here is to love these people. We love them by sharing your truth with them. We love them by, by sharing the gospel with them to know that they are not lost, that they can be found. Lord, I pray as we go throughout the week that we would be aware of those people in our lives. Be aware of those people that we come across and that we would have the courage and the love to share that truth with them. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in our lives, those of us who have put our faith in you. The transformation that we've seen in our own lives is overwhelming, Lord, and we are so grateful for that. We're so grateful for you, the work that you did that we could never do to make us right in your sight. Thank you for that. We love you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.